expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 117 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where we are happy to let you know that Sonic doesn't have to run anymore because he's finally old enough to rent a car. Well, no, Sega just killed him, that's it. Well, well, then there's that. You know, you break his legs and he can't go anywhere. No, he's literally dead. Like, he's been dead for the past, like, five years. Well, that's that's really nice for your 25th birthday that happened on this past Thursday. Way to go, Sega. (laughs) Well, it's just still, I mean, the the games they've been pumping out. No, I mean, have you played Sonic Racers or whatever the hell it's called? No, because you told me not to do that to myself. Oh, it was, oh, God. It was hell on earth, literally. If you tell me something's that bad, I'm out. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I mean, that's what we're here for. I'm James with him alongside. <laughs> the Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. And man, last week was E3. And, and uh, are you recovered at all from, from covering E3 at Actually, all? Actually, kind of am because E3, even though there was a lot of great news and there was so many good games and Sony hit it out of the park again, for some reason, it just didn't seem as huge and all-encompassing as it was in years past. I remember being exhausted after last year's E3 when we covered it. This year, not not so much. I don't know how about I don't know about you how you feel. I'll say this, it didn't feel like covering this year this year wasn't as much of a grind as it felt like last year. Like last year it felt like a grind. Yeah, it did. It really did. But this year it didn't feel as much, but I think last year you know we did have the Nintendo thing we did cover Nintendo, we covered Square Enix. We did yeah, a little bit more a little coverage. Bit more, yeah. But this year was kind of like, you know, certain people where they can really show and it wasn't a lot. So it's like, it's not worth it. But I mean, you know, we still have SDCC to kind of wrap everything up uh, until, you know, fall when New York Comic Con comes around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it, man. You know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a pain in the ass kind of thing. But I mean, it's, it's going to be fun and no matter what. Well, nerd news this week almost feels like a pre-SDCC. Oh my wait, God. Till, wait till we get to that. There's so many big stories in nerd news this week, but you know, doesn't it feel kind of good to to get back to normal, to be able to you know re- review comics again and everything like that? It just feels <laughs> like feels like we're home. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like Marty when he comes back from like the 1950s and he's just like, "Mom, Dad," you know, it's like everything everything's all changed a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's you know, but it's just uh, no, it's fun to get back into our old swing of things. Of course, we're gonna be doing uh. You know, geek taming as well, and and nerd news as you mentioned, and and uh, what we're reading. But I mean, you know, hey, geek tamer, we're going to be reviewing some games this week. Uh, we'll do a little bit different this this week than the most weeks. But come up next, it's what we're reading. Yes, we're returning back. We're pulling out our long boxes again. What we're reading is come up next here on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrisano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it is that time again. Yes, the controllers are been, have been put away, and now we pull out our long boxes once again because it's time for what we're reading. And James, I'm gonna have you go first this week. And you, you this week, you did a comic that has been around for a long, long time. Well, I mean, when it's issue nine thirty-five, yeah, it's definitely been around for a long time, and that's Batman Detective Comics number nine thirty-five, which, of course, back to the old numbering. And James Tynion the Fourth does a great job writing the bat, so why not put him on this? And Eddie Barrows does pencils, Eber Ferreria does the inks, and Adriano Lucas does the colors. Marilyn Patrizio does the letters. So. 
It's actually a very cool book because it, it is Batman-centric, but it's not. Because if you read the Rebirth issue, of course, if you haven't, going to be a little bit of spoilers from the last issue if you haven't read it yet. Basically, Batman's putting a team together to, to be trained. And the trainer for the team is going to be Batwoman because he thinks that she has the military background, which her family does, to be able to train a team. Now, if you haven't read the last issue, here's the team. You've got Red Robin. You've got Spoiler. You've got Cassandra Cain, who is orphaned now based on what happened in Batman and Robin Eternal. And the one interesting one, if you haven't read Detective Comics yet, is Clayface. Really? Clayface, they're going to try and turn him to the good side because Batman feels like Clayface has been given a raw deal, that he didn't really ask for the things that happened to him and all this stuff, and that he can turn over a new leaf. So they're giving him a shot, which I thought was very, very interesting. I like how a lot of the new team is pretty much what they did was they, they've continued what you know Tynan did with Batman and Robin Eternal, mm-hmm. and they pretty much brought that familiar cast over to Detective Comics. That's great how they're uh, giving them a more expanded role, and they're also building on them as well since that series. Definitely, and they're, they're very strong secondary cl- characters. I mean, Bluebird's not in here, which was a little bit of a surprise that uh, they didn't put here in, her in here for this one yet, but I mean, it's very, very interesting to see exactly how they're going to go. But there's also a part in this comic, and one of the things I love about it is because they don't under, a couple of the team members don't understand why they need to be trained at mm-hmm. all and why she's doing the training necessarily, not because they think she's a lesser, but they feel like they're on her level. Right. Kind of so right. there's there's a lot of uneasiness in this first issue, and it's almost like at times certain members of the team are trying to be talked out of being on the team or talking themselves out of it. So, so there's internal struggle there as well. So this technically first issue, uh, even though it's issue 935, it's technically the first issue of Rebirth. Everybody's it's kind of that whole thing. We get a group of people together. They don't get along and they start fighting and kind of like, I'm better than you well, or the we're on the is, same level. The funny thing is the team gets along. Oh, okay. It's the leadership and not understanding why this is being done oh, that is the okay. problem. So the team themselves all get along really well. Of course, Red Robin and Spoiler are dating. So there's, oh, okay. so there's that as well. So there's that little extra added thing. And, and Orphan is Orphan. She's Cassandra and she doesn't talk and she jumps <laughs> on rooftops and peeks in on people and, and stuff like people. that. I mean, that's just the way it is. But the other side note to this is that Again, if you read the last issue, which was the which was 934, you know that somebody's hunting vigilantes. And that, again, this is a spoiler if you didn't read the last issue, Azrael got the living shit beat out of him in the last issue. And Batman actually ends up having to save Azrael, basically. <laughs> so there's a point where they actually have him. He's safe now, but he says something. That leads to, okay, this is where the investigation's going to go. This is who we're looking for kind of thing. And something happens at the end of this issue that might tell us at least a little bit of what's going on. But what I love about this is that you get the new tone that, that Tom's brought to Batman in this issue. I love that uh, that Tynan's actually brought that forth in this issue as well. So you have a little bit of a lighter, more appreciative Bruce Wayne and Batman in this issue, but you've also got that mystery that Batman and Robin Eternal had up until the certain point of the reveals where it's like, okay, we're getting little pieces of what's going on and it's very intriguing and it makes you want to push forward. And I think that that is one of the 
landmarks of Tynan's writing is that he really has a great ability to give you just enough to make you really want to read the next issue. How is the art in this? The art is fantastic, man. There, there's a scene where they're doing a simulator in the beginning, and I don't want to spoil it because it's actually a cool little reveal, but it is a simulator. Just that panel alone of, of the villain that they use is fantastic. So congrats to the entire team from pencils to inks to colors because the art doesn't miss a beat at all. So between that and and the writing, man, it's a definite pull for me. And I'm glad that Detective Comics is back to the glory where it belongs. All right, well, I did some DC diving here this week on the oh, show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, Even the fifth dentist is going to recommend Trident now. Oh, Jesus Christ. That, that, <laughs> that, God damn it, with him. Why did I go that far? I, 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 had, I had a pun that I knew was going to make you happy, and you just had to go the extra inch. You can never just give me an inch. You got to take a whole fucking mile, don't you? Well, yeah, I can't stop myself. Yeah, well, I decided to do Aquaman number one this week, of course, written by Dan Abnett. Brad Walker did the pencils. Andrew Hennessy is the inker. And Gabe Elateb is the colorist. And Pat Brousseau did the letters. And I got to tell you, man, there's a close-up of Aquaman in this where I'm like, he has the most distinct jawline I've ever seen in comics. Which is pretty cool because, I mean, if you think about it, Aquaman is probably one of the most fit members of the Justice yeah. League. Yeah. So to bring that out, and I remember when I was reading the Rebirth issue, I thought the same thing. I'm like, they're really accenting the fact that he's ripped in this issue. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, the story, it follows, of course, uh, Aquaman and Mera. And pretty much what happens is, for those of you who haven't been caught up on this yet, uh, Aquaman is trying to, you know, he's, of course, you know, a land, part of the land as well as part, you know, part of the sea. And he, his whole mission in life, his whole dream, because he has those two distinct traits about him, is he wants to unite both the land and the sea. And they finally built this Atlantean embassy mm-hmm. where people can go visit, people who, you know, surface dwellers and stuff like that can go visit and everything else. And I'm going to tell you this right now, it's it's a slow burn because it's a lot of like, I'm this person, nice to meet you. Kind of like, you know, you're at a party. And you're, that's what it feels like. It feels like you're walking through a party. You're kind of meeting people. And you're, you know, you're that third person in the circle of a conversation. Right. Towards the third act, though, there's a villain that makes an appearance. And my God, does this person make an appearance? From the third act on, this thing is just a giant fight between... Aquaman and this villain and you know pretty much uh, something happens where people are in danger and it's just very very amped up and if you've read the issue before that you would know it was the same thing where it was kind of slow throughout it and then towards the end it's it picked up very much so yeah, that reveal very at the very end as well was like you saw the art for right. that villain and you're like whoa that's legit right and and so in here you know it's one of those things where it's like they're finally you know, the two worlds are finally going to be at peace with one another, understand one another. And then this thing happens, an event happens to where, oh man, how much in jeopardy is this? And, and, and stuff like that. And then when you find out the villain's reasoning for doing what this person does in the book, you're like, okay, I can see a reasoning why. I can see, you know, I mean, hurting people is, is, is terrible, but I can understand why he, he, this person, well, I can say he, why he views this whole embassy as kind of a facade 
So, uh, you, I mean, you, you don't justify what they're doing, but you can kind of understand oh, yeah. where they're coming from, kind of thing. Yeah, he, I mean, this person's kind of thing like, you know, people know you're a killer and everything else like that, but yet you build this whole embassy as sort of a facade to kind of hide that secret from people. Mm-hmm. The art in this is phenomenal. I, I got to say this. The only downfall is the... Uh, is the Aquaman suit more the more the the top half of the suit? It's all scaly because uh, when they sh- when they show Arthur from like a, a medium distance, it looks kind of like he's had boil like boils or like burns and he has like water boils on uh, all of his body. So it looks like that. But when it's a close above him, it looks more scaly and more defined. Uh, so I mean, that's really the only downfall of it is that in in Panels where Arthur, and in a certain part, Mira is kind of like in a medium of a distance. You don't really, you kind of loses a little bit of detail to it, uh, to where it is noticeable. But overall, the art in this, very, very well done. Um, the water in this, even, is, is amazing. And uh, it's really, really a, a good book. I mean, the ending, when you get to the, uh, I'll say, page 13 of the book, that's where it really picks up. Is that, And that's where it's like, Oh man, everything's going down, and I need issue right. two right now. And I gotta tell you this right now, man. I know we both did DC this week, but the reason why we did this is because Rebirth has been so damn good. They've been killing it. I mean, we, you and I have been talking off the air about the Flash and Green Lanterns, and obviously Tom's Batman, which we've talked about on the and, show, and Green Arrow. I reviewed that last week. Yeah, on the Green episode. Arrow's been fantastic. I mean, where did that even come from? I've been waiting for that, and let's just say. Are they getting Superman right finally? I think so. I think I think it's been a long time. Right. I think well because they figured out a way to take Superman and what way they should take him, and it's uh, uh, just a great job by DC overall. And again, I didn't get, actually get my rating for this, but this is a poll for me. This is a definite Aquaman is a definite poll for me. I have not read a rebirth title yet, and I'm being completely serious here. I know people might think I'm out of my mind. I have not read one yet that's not a poll. Yeah, all of them so far. I would, I would. All them been book. great. They've all and, been great, and that's not hyperbole, and that's not no. you know trying to kiss DC's ass. It's just fact. It's they're writing fact. good books. The arts all been great in all of the books, and they're what they're doing with all these characters. I mean, you can't deny it if it's right there in front of you. Well, and even like, I read a little bit of Wonder Woman before we started recording, and just the art and that alone, it makes you feel like you're reading like an old like an old uh, scroll kind of thing you're looking at it because it's just it looks yeah. well aged and I'm like holy shit this is great and like I said we're not kissing DC's ass it's just when they when you bring back all these characters your entire universe is going back to what made them great when you first introduced them like decades ago that is just great and I mean you know they just have a, an amazing writing staff I mean we mentioned Superman you know, Peter J. Tomasi is just doing a hell of a job yes. with Superman mm-hmm. and uh, I mean just DC in general has just been killing it so again I mean Aquaman number one is a definite pull for me Detective Comics 935 is a pull for me so go out and check out some DC Rebirth do not be afraid because good stuff will be waiting for you we can promise you that Mm-hmm. And coming up next is This Week in Geek Tame. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. No movies, no trailers. Instead, we kind of did a little bit of retro gaming. We'll find out more coming up next in the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hello, this is Tom Ellis from Lucifer on Fox, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, after last week's E3, we kind of got inspired. We were thinking and saw a sale at the PlayStation Store, too, by the way. So we decided for this week in Geek Tamit to review some, I guess, somewhat vintage video games, right? Yeah, I guess you can say. I mean, mine, I believe yours came out the same year mine did. It was 2014. I think mine was 2013, so I think I'm a year behind you, actually. Okay, okay. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I decided to, you know, of course I bought Injustice because there was like 8 bucks in the wow. PlayStation Store. Yeah. But the one game that I'm going to be talking about this week that's, again, kind of a retro game is Infamous Second Son. Of course, developer Sucker Punch Studio, or Sucker Punch Productions, I should say, and the publisher, of course, Sony Interactive Entertainment. And, again... This came out on the PS4, and it was one of the most highly touted games because, and I can see why. I mean, it looked awesome to me, so I was I was stoked when I heard you were going to be playing it. Well, for example, if people want to wonder what it's like playing this game, picture X-Men mixed with Mirror's Edge a little bit. Nice. And I say Mirror's Edge because it's a lot of the parkour. Is, I mean, you want to talk about a game that's really free-flowing in terms of movement, it really is. Infamous Second Son is really, really free-flowing. And the story is really, really interesting as well. You're playing this guy uh, who turns out, you know, he is like this... He has like this power where his powers he can absorb what are called conduits, which are pretty much, if you want to say mutants, but they're called conduits earlier on in the game. But because of the threat that they possess, the government started calling biological terrorists... And so you find out that this guy you're playing as can absorb the powers of these conduits, and he becomes one himself. Now, where the story gets interesting is you know, you're trying to take down this government industry led by this other conduit, this more powerful conduit. And as, all along, you're in the city of Seattle, and you're, like, doing these missions. Like, I swear to God, man, I am – when it comes to the story and the legit actual missions there in the story, I'm probably not even 10 20 percent done. Because, it's almost like, you know, how like in Arkham you had to go find the Riddler trophies, but to like the nth degree because there's actual side missions that you right. really legit have to do. You know right, what I mean? right. There are side missions like, for example, you have to chase out and, and kind of catch a in each area, in each section there's like a, an, an undercover agent. Uh, you have to go around destroying cameras, security cameras. Uh, destroying mobile units for the uh, the department that's you know it's evil department head. It's it's really you know a lot of side missions which are fun because it makes you feel like you're making a difference in a sense because you're clearing out certain areas of the city right. of Seattle. Right. And so you're like, okay, I know I have to go do this mission, but I still have like these are sections I want to get to. You know, these drones are almost destroyed. So I want to clear those out. And it's like you find yourself lost and immersed and fun. And what's best about these types of, of side missions is in a lot of games that have side missions, they feel tacked on. They feel like really oh, dragging. Definitely, yeah. Here, they're fun. They're really engaging. Yeah, a lot of them are the same thing. But I mean, like, but the, what's nice about it is that they're different. Where like you can go from having to go destroy like a couple security cameras to graffitiing a fence or a wall or something, you know, and it's just a bunch of different things. And the power-up system is really, really easy to move around in, to upgrade and stuff like that. Uh, this game is really, really a fun, fun game. And what I love about this, too, is that you can choose to be either go towards the good side or go become what they call infamous and being coming evil. Of course, I'm going to go the evil route. 
<laughs> the first time well, around. Yeah. And then, but I'm going to replay it again and do all the good, you know, make all the good choices. Right. You know? That's the beauty part about a game like this, though, because a lot of games don't necessarily have replayability anymore. So this game really does. You can go either or, and you get different outcomes as you go. So I think that was really smart. And to. And the side missions will all be different, I'm sure, once you go just to the good side and stuff like that. So it'll be like playing a whole new game all over again. I will admit that there was a time in this game, the beginning of the game, where I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to play anymore. Because there's a, there's a part where uh, you have to save somebody. There's a tree that's fallen on this person. It's okay. really early in the game. And you have to lift the tree off of them. But this is a game that utilize, actually utilizes the touchpad on the PS4. And it's, it's, I shit you not, its command was place both thumbs on the touchpad and push <laughs> up. <laughs> and people are going, why is that funny? <laughs> yeah, because I have one arm. I yeah, if one you're thumb. a new listener, he has one arm. How is he supposed to put both thumbs but, down? But, I mean, I found out that, that when they said, you know, push up on the pad, it wasn't like, you know, like a, like a, a smartphone that you scroll up. Right. It was It was pushed down on it. So I'm like, oh, thank God. I didn't. Could waste imagine, twelve dollars. Could you imagine if it was like fingerprint sensitive or something? You try to Dude, do it, and it goes. And it goes. Have, no, there's a legit part where you have to go through like a finger finger scanner to see if you're a conduit or not, kind of a security checkpoint, and you have to literally take your finger and scroll to the marker. Could you imagine though if it said put both thumbs down oh, there, and you screwed. tried that and you'd be like, uh, and they'd be like, uh, that's not a thumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's my dick. <laughs> it's like, uh, what do you think you're trying to pull here? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh wow. Oh man, but I mean, if I had to rate this, I give it. You know, again, I like the fact that, and what makes you want to go towards the evil side is the fact that they call you a biological terrorist, and you're like, man. That's not cool. Like, yeah, you know, right off the get, you're like, screw these guys. Yeah, so you want to go evil. You want to, like, you know, break people's heads and turn them on fire and stuff like that. Uh, I have to give this 9 out of 10 conduits. Wow. That's a, that's a high And one. I haven't even beaten the game yet. But, I mean, I've played the game probably for about, tw- I've got probably about 20 hours of gameplay in so far, maybe. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, again, between the side missions and the actual story, it's really, really fun because he has a brother in this, and so there's a little bit of conflict because the brother's like he's freaked out by him being a conduit and a you know quote unquote biological terrorist. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes so, a lot of sense. So, so speaking of of games, you of course did one this week, and you uh, kind of did a the first installment of a game where we saw the second installment at E3. Yeah, I decided to go back and play Dishonored, the first Dishonored from Bethesda and Arcane Studios. And I got to tell you, I was so intrigued by Dishonored and the gameplay and how it mixed kind of that steampunk and old world type of feel with this supernatural type thing. I'm like, this this is me. I'll go ahead and check this out. So basically, if you don't know about Dishonored, your character is a, is a man named Corvo. And basically, he is the guard for the Empress. And he's sent off to try and find a find out how some of the other areas of the of the land that they're in are doing with this rat plague that's going around. So yep. everybody thinks it's really weird that the that the Empress's guard was sent away to do this and all that stuff. So when you come back, by the way, this is a little bit of a spoiler if you haven't played this this game yet. So um, you come back and the Empress basically gets murdered right in front of you. And you try to fight off the people that are that are that are trying to commit the murder, and you can't, and, and you're not supposed to be able to. That's the thing. It's like no matter what you do, this is going to happen. And uh, her daughter Emily is actually taken. 
but you get framed for it. They think you did it. The guard thinks you did it. And that's when the whole thing kicks off. And it turns out to be a vast conspiracy. And now you've got to escape from the prison. And there's people that are helping you. And there's like a an inside resistance kind of thing. So that's where the gameplay really starts to kick off. Well, yeah. What I love about Dishonored, you know, I played Dishonored as well. And what I love about it is just that the movements you do are very they're, they're very well played out. Like, they're very well, they're very different from one another. Uh, the way that you attack people, the way that they even fall, and things that yep. they, you can do to them are very, very different. And of course, again, kind of like what happened with me with Infinite Second Son and, and Dishonored is you can go towards the light route or you can go towards the dark route. Yeah, know? because it even tells you, it's like, the more people you kill, the darker this ending is going to be. But here's the thing, man. You know how you, you're playing a game for the first time, you're getting used to the controls and the little mm-hmm. idiosyncrasies of the game. So, yeah. you know, stealth mode is very important in this game. And every time I've played a Hitman game, I've been really good at the stealth mode. But they kicked the realism up Oh yeah. in this Dishonored game because I'm crouching down Really quick, I'm crouching down. I'm trying to go around this little, um, it's a pile of something, you know, like if they have like a pallet or something, but it's yeah. covered up. So I'm walking by, and there's two guards there, and I'm by the guards already. And all of a sudden I hear clink, and they go, What was that? And I'm like, What did I even do? <laughs> right? I bumped into this thing, and I guess there was a bottle on top of it, and it shook the bottle a little bit. I'm like, You gotta be kidding me. So I wasn't ready for that, you know. But I love that. That's I love that. That's what Bethesda does with the games, and there's a lot of the games too. Is where you have a certain movement, and if you have a game that's based on stealth, like Dishonored is, every movement can hurt you because it's like because right. in a lot of games when you have to go stealth wise, oh, I can walk along this table even though there's stuff on it, and when they won't move. Here it's not the case. It's real time physics. It's real. It's yeah. like, hey, you bump to a table. This plate or this bottle is going to shake. You bump to this pallet. This bottle is going to shake and possibly fall, depending on how hard you hit it. Yeah, you know? I like it now, but at the time, I was like, this is bullshit, <laughs> and I just killed everybody. I'm like, this is how this is going to be. All right, this is going to be a really dark ending if that's the case, because I'm just going to take take down everybody. But what I like about this game is that. You can make choices. Even when you're talking to people, it says, do you want to go do this with this person? Or do you want to go in here instead? Or do you want, or there, there was one mission where you have to get by these electrified doorways. And it says, okay, there's about five different ways you can do this and do it properly. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you can figure out which way is the best way. So I tried to go the stealth route and do it that way. And it worked out for a while. And then not so much. And then there was another thing. You know how like when you use something like sleep potions or knockout yeah. gas, something like that? Yeah. Usually the person that you knock out is out, right? For pretty much oh, the yeah, entire not, time we're there. Not in here. Not in Dishonored. I shot a, a guard with one of the sleep darts. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go down here. I'll go this way and I'll be good and I'll be clear. No, because five seconds later he gets up. and I'm like, this is either a really shitty dart or this is a really realistic game because or, or he person, got up way too fast. Well, the person's just built like a tank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun, man. It is first person, which is usually not my thing. But, and, and the only criticism I really have is, is that sometimes, especially if you're in a melee battle, mm-hmm. you kind of lose track of where some of the enemies are. Right. Because there's no peripheral vision. You can't really see what's behind you or, or, or even around you at times. So that's the only knock I really have on this. But, I mean, the, the realism is off the charts and how you have to – you make sure you close the door. Otherwise, they're going to notice the door's open and think something's up or something's out of place. It is a lot like Hitman 2 where if there's a body, you better get rid of it. If there's too much blood, they're going to know that there's something wrong and sound an alarm. But you can disarm the alarms. There's just so many – 
inner working parts to this that you could do. And I didn't even talk about the supernatural stuff yet. I mean, basically you wake up at one point. Oh yeah. And the world is totally different. And somebody tells you, we've chosen to give you these powers to help you in your journey. And you have to, you know, walk through the little beginning stages of the powers and they tell you how you can get more and how you can upgrade them and stuff like that. So it's just so intricate and everything plays a role in this. But the thing that I like the most about it is that nothing lasts forever because even there's like, a detective mode in, in, in the Arkham games. You can be a detective mode the entire time. Well, there's a similar thing where it's like a second site where you can see through walls and stuff. It doesn't last forever. You have to re-up it because it'll go down. I think after like 20 seconds or so, it just shuts off. So you have to re-up it with mana, and that uh, takes mana too, so you have to keep that in mind. So and, I just and love that. It's very Bioshock-esque too when you talk about the whole mana thing and having to like recharge and have to you know do stuff like yeah. that, you know. And and I mean again with, with Second Son it was that same thing too, because you know, one of your first powers you get is a sm- you know, your ability to uh, you know, use smoke, you know, travel through through smoke and yeah. you know, use fire off embers, which of course take away some of the smoke. So throughout the game you have to like damage cars and stuff like that and have to uh, you know, or go on rooftops and vents and have to absorb the smoke to fill up your meter again so you can use your powers. And that's what I like about that. I, don't, I, I like games that have to deal with supernatural or, or, or people with powers in a way where you have to recharge stuff where it's not, everything's not infinite, you know? Right, exactly. I love that. And I mean, I, I know I'm nowhere near the end. I'm about seven, eight gameplay hours in because I'm trying to play when the boy's asleep. So. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you got it, when you got a toddler trying to smack a controller out of your hand, it ups the frustration level can, and then it'll be a really dark ending. E320, like E320 or 2021, Dishonored 5, and you'd be sitting there, I just finished Dishonored 1. I so. finished the first one. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, it's a, it's a really cool game, so I'm going to give this nine teleporting powers out of ten. The only knock I really have is that sometimes it's hard to see where your enemies are Thank during you. a fight scene. Here's a, here's a question for you. Have you devoured people with rats yet? Yeah, I actually did. Was it How fun was it? It was, it was creepy and fun at the same time because basically there's an area of the game where if you touch the floor, the yeah. rats are going to come kill you. Yeah. So basically you have to... Give them another option. Doesn't it make you feel like I think what's the character's name? Was it Willard or whatever who has the the control with them with them? It was a horror movie back. Yeah, in the it was day. Willard. It was Willard. Yeah, with, he has with Crispin Glover actually. Well, that was, yeah, that was George the remake. McFly. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah that was the remake. But I mean, yeah, the, for people who don't know, what Willard is it's pretty much this, this horror movie about this guy who like has this can, sort of relationship and control with these like rats and he has them kill people and everything else it's a very very messed up movie but well, i mean uh, if, if you live in new york it'll kind of give you the heebie-jeebies <laughs> well really in new york it's normal you see a rat underneath the pile of garbage like oh it's it's fine yeah, but, if, but nobody's controlling them if they were then that right. would be a whole different like, story bond with them you know <laughs> they don't have like this, this bond you know right, exactly. say, you know here go attack whatever well, you can possess rats in this game i haven't done that yet <laughs> there you go but that's gonna do it for this week and Geek Tamer come next. We have a whole plethora of Justice League news to get through, so stay tuned. Grab your capes. We're going to get ready for some more nerd news. Come next in the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's time to put on our capes and cowls and circle around the bat computer because it's time for what, James? No! No! As I mentioned it in Geektainment, there was a lot of Justice League stuff that dropped this week. And you know, where do you want to start off, man? Because there's just a plethora. There's a whole 
fucking field of it. Well, since we're talking about Justice League, why don't we talk about the fact that it's just going to be Justice League? Let's start there. It's not going to be part one and part two. It's going to be one standalone movie. And the reason why, of course, this is a, a good decision, but the reason why I think that they actually decided to change this is because of what happened with Batman vs. Superman, mm-hmm. where they're like, our, and honestly, I think Warner Brothers looked at their cinematic universe and said, where we are right now, we're not strong enough nor good enough to have to be able to say, you know what, we're going to split up our big movie into two parts. You know what I'm saying? Not only that, but I mean... It, it almost seems like they're, they certainly seems like they're going to go for a tone change. And we'll get into that here in just a second with some quotes that happened. But it, it, I think they looked at where they were at and they're like, can we even connect these? Especially given the distance between the first Justice League movie and what would have been part two of the Justice League movie. Can you even connect these? Because, okay, let's say, and we'll talk about who the villain's going to be here in just a second. But if you go with who that the higher up from that villain would be in Justice League, that's a big gap. And can you connect those gaps with the in-between movies? I don't think that that would really work. Well, not just that, but again, going to my back to my point, you know, the DC Cinematic Universe is not off on the right foot. It's off on a terrible well, foot. Well, it started with the wrong movie, like you said right. before. I think it should have probably been Wonder Woman, probably. Um, but, uh, you know, you look at this... And you look at where they're going with it, and I'm like, I look at why it's a standalone, and I'm like, yeah, because the fact that they're not off on the right foot, imagine if part one still follows in that trend of it's not good. Are people aren't going to be excited for part two? So they're going to be yeah. Like, you're oh, automatically have that stigma attached right. to part two. Well, this is going to suck, even if the standalone movies are good. And part of me, and and to me, and follow me on this, them doing a standalone movie means this is the last. Zack Snyder-led movie that we're going to get. You kind of get that impression, don't you? As a matter of fact, because you say that, another reason I think that that might be the case is not just what you mentioned with Warner Brothers, but when Ben Affleck was questioned by Collider on the set of Justice League, he was talking about the standalone Batman movie that was coming and how he said the script's not done yet, and yeah, they've got a date, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit that date, but here's part of the quote that he said, and I texted you this and you were like, whoa, so... I'll pick the quote up here. It says, My timetable is I'm not going to make a movie until there's a script that I think is good because I've been on the end of things where you make movies and you have a script that's not good yet and it doesn't pan out. And I think that was a shot across the bow to Zack Snyder because Ben Affleck, you can see it just on his face, how he was in interviews. When he saw that the amount of negative, like, negative reviews the movie was getting, he was pissed by it. You know, because this is a guy, first of all, he signed on to do how many ever Batman movies and be a essential key part yep. of this universe. And he's like, God damn it. You know, like this things have to be better. And I have fooled you. Know, he's working close with Jeff Johns on this, too. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, this is something that's going to be special. Now, going back to my Zack Snyder comment, there was that report that him and Jeff Johns are working on something like another project as well. So we'll see. But I think in terms of Zack Snyder movies, I think this is probably the last time he helms this big climactic thing, you know, in terms of Justice League and Batman, you know, having all these characters in one spot, you know. I agree. And I mean, remember the pictures we saw of Affleck in the bat suit working yeah. on the script? But he had the ability to do that for Batman's lines of what was the best part of Batman versus Superman? Batman. It was Batman. So he couldn't fix the whole thing. So when the whole sad Affleck thing came out and the face <laughs> that face to me didn't say i'm pissed that face said i told you this was going to happen exactly. like he tried and it, it just didn't come through so now 
He's a little, but he's smart too. He's pissed off, but he's not going to go all, you know, New England Patriots rant on this. He's going to take the high road a little bit because he still has to work with these people. Right. And then even Zack Snyder came out not too long ago and said, I saw the reviews and went, whoa, I have to change my mindset. This isn't working. And now we're getting the whole, well, it's going to be lighter, more inclusive. Batman's not going to kill people anymore kind of thing. So I think that I I think all that has to do with Jeff Johns now being the head of the DC universe and, and being in control of everything. And Again, a, a director saying that they have changed their ways and actually doing it is one thing, so I'll wait to see Justice League and see right, if that's right, true. Right, right, uh, Because, again, for the, since the movie came out, they've been in recovery mode ever since, and they're still going to be in recovery mode until Justice League comes out, you know? I don't know. I think if Wonder Woman ends up being good, even though it's not a Zack Snyder movie, I think that'll be a nice show of good faith for people uh, to go for people to go eh, well this isn't necessarily for nerds though keep that in mind well, right we're talking about regular movie goes here so if wonder woman's good people are going to look at justice league and go maybe they can pull this off right but also as, as moviegoers even if you're not a comic book fan if you're someone who's seen Zack snyder's work or whatever again going back to when i reviewed it when we reviewed this the movie itself i said the fact that all these individual movies are leading up to a Zack Snyder project doesn't make me feel good at all. And that's what people, even regular moviegoers, see. is like, okay, this is all culminated to another Zack Snyder project. However, again, John's involved on this. Ben Affleck, you know, it's it's Yeah, it's there's, a lot there's more. way more cooks in the kitchen now. Yeah. This isn't his baby anymore. As a matter of fact, I, I'm really curious to see how Wonder Woman's portrayed in the Wonder Woman movie and the differences between how Snyder portrayed Wonder Woman and how Wonder Woman's portrayed in the standalone movie. Because if there's a vast difference there, I know it's a different time period and all that, but if there's a vast difference there and it's vastly better than what Snyder did, then that will make it even more interesting. Well, to be honest with the Wonder Woman thing, like she was only in a few scenes. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't really get to see, you know, we didn't get to see Diana outside of the costume. I mean, we, when we did, it was more just a little like her kind of like showing up in certain places and kind of like having a brief conversation, but not really like having a deep on conversation with people. Uh, so we'll see what it is and what it's like. But, you know, one of the things that people I'm not surprised or upset over, but I don't think they should be upset over is, of course, who the main villain is going to yeah. be. We found out this week that it's going to be Steppenwolf. Yeah, and do we not get that this is Darkseid's, like, top military it's guy? It's his uncle! <laughs> yeah, this is this is part of the family here. It's his biggest military asset other than himself, of course. This guy can carry this. He's, just because the Avengers went with Loki and you know how, and you know how great Loki was from the Thor movie, doesn't mean that, you know, Warner Brothers should just come out with Darkseid in the first Justice League movie, you saw what happened when they threw Doomsday into Batman versus Superman. Why not let Steppenwolf carry this first movie, and then we'll get to Dark Side in the second Justice League movie? My thing is, when it comes to villains and comic book movies, you have to progress through them in terms of just powerful and, and how powerful they are. Like the whole Doomsday thing, I think that was forced in there. I'm not going to go into that. Forced, yeah. It was forced in there, but you can't jump from like one character. And immediately going to Dark Side. It's kind of like saying, okay, we're going to go from Iron Monger and, you know, in Iron Man 1 to Thanos in, you know, yeah. in the next movie, you know? Exactly. And I mean, what do you want them to do after that? Let's say they did do Dark Side in this movie. Where do you go after that? Brainiac? I'm sorry, that's a step down. Right. Pretty much almost anybody you choose at that point is going to be a step down. And I know certain people have certain feelings for 
certain DC villains, and I totally get that, but Darkseid is... I mean, other than maybe going anti-monitor, but then you got to introduce Crisis, probably, and that's a whole different ball of wax. So I think that this is the right way to go, and I think that once people actually get in there and they see what they're going to do, because the one thing that they could have done, but because, again, they started with the wrong movie with Batman vs. Superman, they could have done the Atlantean and Themyscira Wars with the Amazons and the Atlanteans. They could have done that, the whole Throne of Atlantis thing, but you can't do that now. Because you just did Batman versus Superman, you gotta do another versus movie. So, I mean, you gotta do this. Right, and we've also found out who Willem Dafoe is playing as well. You know, he's gonna be the, I can't think of the name. Was, Volko. Uh, Volko, yeah. He's basically he, the advise, the senior advisor, advisor to Aquaman. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And so that's finally come out as well. But I mean, that's a lot of Justice League news. I think Steppenwolf's gonna be fine. Yeah. And, you know, I think, and I think, and I, from what I've heard, from what I've read, we're, we're gonna see Dark Sidedness, but again, it's probably more of a, like what Marvel did with Thanos as a yeah. stinger. Yeah. Uh, and the, from what I read as well, the Parademons are going to be more of a bigger role as well. So, I mean, we'll see how it is. But going from the Justice League universe and the DC Cinematic Universe, we can go to the Star Wars universe because, my God, again, there's a lot of Rogue One stuff that came out, including, of course, today uh, that James Earl Jones is going to be reprising his role as the voice of Darth yes. Vader. Darth Vader is going to be in it. And we got the whole list of who everybody is. So, of course, Felicity Jones is playing Jen Erso, uh, of course, who leads this brigade, brigade to steal the Death Star plans and everything else to clear her ledger. Uh, turns out Mads Mikkelsen will be playing her father, who apparently created the Death Star itself. So it's kind of a cool kind of you know interaction there. But what's really cool is is just this, cat, this list of characters and how everybody – you know, when you read this and you see who everybody's playing, you know, you see like like Saw Gera, you see, you know, and this, I'm talking about or the 20 good side. years older Saw Gera right. too. That's right. going to be know, interesting. Uh, Baze Malbus and stuff like that. And even a, 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 a Chirrut, you know, it, 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 you see this and it's kind of like there's a lot of mystery surrounding these characters, you know, and there's a lot of interesting things of course if you've read the actual books and if you've watched like clone wars you would notice who some of these characters are but this this is kind of like a band of can, can this be considered star wars's band of misfits in the sense kind of i mean you do have the certain trope of i mean you've got felicity jones's character and then you've got the character that's going to be played by uh diego luna who's going to be the straight laced by the book guy so you've got the loose cannon and the by the book person and then you've got other characters in there that kind of fill in but i was looking at the droid who uh, is going to be motion captured by Alan Tudyk. Oh, yeah. It's going to be K2SO, and it's basically, Gareth Edwards said this is Chewbacca in a droid's body and how he just doesn't give a shit about what anybody yeah. says, and I'm like, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, man, of course, you also got to look at the the who's possibly going to be the big bad. I know Vader's going to be in, but I don't think he's going to be in it, you know what I'm saying? He'll be in it at times. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, director Orson Krennic is going to be Apparently, this appears to be the head person, at least the person in charge here. And I think that, you know, of course, it's being played by Ben Mendelsohn. And you look at what he's doing, he's going to be the head of the, you know, the, you know, the uh, imperial operative. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he plays out, how he affects things going forward. Now, there is a bit of a spoiler warning I'm going to get into. You, give you a five second countdown so you can kind of skip forward this a little bit. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, James, you know that scene where they're running out of the hangar and those, those are the, AT, the, the AT-ATs? Yep. Those aren't AT-ATs. You want to know what they are? 
Go for it. They're called ATACTs. Those are cargo ATATs. Which is different, obviously. And so, you know, Star Wars fans love those little subtle differences. Right. Differences can keep that in mind. Here's what a spoiler is. What could they be carrying? And from what I'm reading, from what I'm seeing, and I think this could be happening, is they're carrying those crystals that give the lightsaber its power. I think they're carrying those huge things, like a huge supply of them, to make that freaking death beam that the Death Star shoots. That that certainly makes sense to me. I mean, it's it I. I could see that they would do that, and what else would power it, you know? So, but it'll be interesting to get into that, though. Yeah, what goes into what, how the Death Star was built, and how that giant cannon was built, and all that. Where maybe we'll get that information. I mean, they're trying to steal the plans. Maybe we'll actually get some of what's in the plans, kind of thing. Right, and and, and here's the thing, though, too, is that uh, the per you know, I believe it was the director, I believe, uh, or writer director, I can't remember who said that. They picture Jane Erso, so Felicity Jones' character, as a Joan of Arc character. So that might mean she might die because yep. I don't know how Joan of Arc ended. You know how that daughter. ended. Yep. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if she dies, though, because obviously, I mean, we know how it ends. There's no spoiler as to how the right. movie's going to end, but it's the process of how it's going to end. And she could certainly die in her quest to get those plans out of there. So right. it'd be very, very interesting to see how they execute the ending of this movie and everything in between. I've just been all in on this movie because stealing the Death Star plans and how that all went down, I've been wanting to know that for a long time. Well, I know for, you know, if you go back to our review, I was kind of like, oh, really? It's another Death Star movie. But now seeing what it is, like what it really is and what it's going to be in it, I'm like, okay, I, I, We'll totally watch this, you know, and then go into A New Hope and stuff I mean, like that. Am I that, still you know? a little worried? Sure, of course sure. I'm a little worried. But at the same time, you know, the trailer put me at ease. This puts me even more at ease now. So I'm really looking forward to it. And we get it in December, so that's not even that far away. Yeah, well, let's, let's kind of fast forward to October. That's quite December because, as we all know, I'm a cord cutter, which means that I don't have cable television. I instead use things like Hulu and Netflix to watch my TV shows for streaming purposes. Welp, turns out that CW and Hulu are going their separate ways in October because they couldn't reach a new deal. And now Netflix is gonna has the official rights to all the CW shows starting October, I believe. And that that means is... Of course, they're not going to be the CW shows aren't going to be on Hulu anymore, but they're going to be arriving on Netflix two weeks after the, the season has ended. Right, and now it looks like all the next day air stuff is going to move to the CW Seed app and on their website as well. So that's that still will be an option, but the Netflix deal is a huge deal because they did that with Agents of Shield as well, where just a few weeks after Agents of Shield had its season finale, the whole season was on Netflix. The only problem with that is is that. You know, not everybody's that patient to be able to wait until the whole season is over, and it's a bitch to avoid spoilers for that long, too. So, Hulu losing this, my worry is that Hulu's losing, period, and that a lot of these networks are going, you know, we've got pretty good apps now. We're starting to make some headway. Why don't we just move our stuff to our own apps so that way we control the advertisements, we control the dollars. Why are we going to Hulu anymore? Well, here, and here's the thing as well. You know, looking at Hulu, I'm still going to keep Hulu because, again, there's other networks. There's, there's right. you know other shows I watch outside of CW. Granted, four of the shows I watch are on the CW, right. but... You know, I mean, the other ones, you know, are still NBC, ABC, and Fox. So those are the big ones. But if those move, 
you also have to remember too. You know, you mentioned well, what if you know they do the whole CBS streaming thing? We have to pay for the streaming thing. I don't think they'll do that because, as you mentioned, the advertisers. I don't think CW will do that. No, but because I think, of where they're I, at. But, but here, I could see somebody like ABC doing. No, it. I don't see that because hear me out. I think what they really want is because these things like like Hulu, for example, offer you to not have to watch commercials, right? Mm-hmm. Well, outside of Shield, you have to watch commercials. But the thing is, with Shield is they only show like one commercial in the beginning, like before the show even starts, and one at the end. So you're not really seeing through like breaks. But you have these networks. And you can still, and the thing is, a lot of these networks, especially if they're the, the basic channels, they don't have you like sign up with your TV account and everything else like that. You know right. what your, what your right. cable number and everything. You can just go on their site and watch their shows. Granted, they have ads, but I think that's a way from the pull viewers away from who like I Hulu and, and go say, hey, you know, you don't want, you know, you're you're not having to pay for ads, but hey, you know, if we don't have our shows on there. You're going to have to sit through ads, but you guess what? You get to watch them as soon as they come up, like the day after. And maybe they'll give you, like you said, an ad-free option through their apps as right. well. Because obviously they would be able to do that. Here's my but even thing, then. How, how annoying is, is that going to get at some point? Right. How many ads are they going to have to put in? Have you tried to watch an episode of anything on AMC's website? I think, well... There's I think, a lot of ads, especially on Walking Dead. Uh, well, I think that the ads, I think they're, they're going to be done... In terms of the actual TV breaks, that's how I think it's going to be broken up because I mean, that's what I've been noticing. That's what they do in the lot. Like ABC has live streaming on their <laughs> app and you can actually – the real spots that are – even local spots will play on that app too. Right. But here's my question. And here's my, my – well, my, my question. But here's my, my thought on this. And then you mentioned if everybody goes to their own app and they charge you X amount of dollars whatever, you're spending like, okay, between ABC – you know the main just just the network stuff. The you know, the ABC, NBC, CBS stuff. You're spending forty, you know, almost thirty to say for instance, everything is like ten dollars. You're spending about fifty, sixty dollars just for one channel. Oh, I like, totally like, like I agree. Channels. And that's sure. that's gonna get ex- that's expensive. Yeah, that's and, like, and and an over the air antenna costs a really good one costs forty, fifty bucks. Right on Amazon, so you could still watch them for free with your over the air antenna. That's indoor, by the way. You're not s- sticking the giant weather vane on top of your roof anymore. This is a flat indoor antenna that you can attach to your ceiling or your wall. So you got to factor that in too, but I, I totally agree that that would get expensive. And you see people all the time say, we want a la carte channels. We want a la carte programming. Be careful what you wish for, because you don't know how much all these stations are going to charge. And at the end of the day, you could still be paying just as much as you're paying for cable. Right, right. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how things go, especially coming into the next year, because there's that rumor that Netflix is going to be losing what, like 500,000 subscribers. Yeah, but it's because of that new, they, they have to up it $2 for everybody. Now the people that were grandfathered in and now are going to be playing nine ninety nine. You're going to pay nine ninety nine. Right. But it's also the thing with Netflix though is, and this is where remember that we, I believe, I believe we talked about the deal or maybe we did. I know we posted it on our Facebook page about how they're getting all the Disney stuff and they're getting the star Wars right. stuff, you know, and, and, and everything like that. Netflix now, if you look at their movie catalog, they're not putting up a lot of movies or, in fact, movies that people really want to watch. Like They're putting up, like, this movie number two or, like, the sequel or, or third intro, but they're not putting up the originals, you know, and people are getting pissed off about that. And also, they're going more towards original series, but the problem is, like, so outside of a couple of them, they're, they're shitty. They're pretty shitty. Well, I mean, look at well, look at your alternatives. You've got Amazon, who's actually doing a little bit better. They're finally starting to make some headway into getting some different stuff, like they snagged Mr. Robot and and uh, Orphan Black and a few other things from Netflix. But 
Especially the Netflix, I think, is more focused now on their original programming than they've ever been. And how can you blame them? Because it's hugely successful. And right. Look at what you're getting. And again, not all of this original programming is a home run. There's they have they have a lot of really good ones, and then they have some that are like, okay, you know, I see what you're doing there. And they've had a couple of bad ones, but they're making headway in that regard. And they still put up some some pretty good movies, but you're not going to have like a hundred winners I, on there. I won't. Um, the thing is, the tough thing the, the tough thing with me in canceling my Hulu account is like i know i'm i you know talked about you know hey if if these things pull out i might be pulling out of my hulu subscription but again i have showtime i watch shameless and i watch billions and a couple other shows on there and you can get showtime through amazon that's true so it's like well and stars by the way well shit you know so things my things might be a changing amazon's amazon's the problem with amazon is they're trying to fight Hulu and Netflix at the same time. Right. So they're really trying to, you know, I mean, if anybody could do it, it's Amazon with the big business that they've got. But it's it's going to be difficult because they're trying to do the movies and the shows at the same time and fight with the original programming. Because let's face it, Hulu hasn't done the greatest job with their original programming. So maybe Amazon's going to be the one that pushes past them a little bit. The, the way I see it is if either Amazon or Netflix can find a way to pry that next day air thing away yeah. from Hulu, it's over for Hulu. Yep, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. We come next, Van Jensen, the writer himself, is coming on to talk cryptocracy. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy come up next. Hey, this is Robert Venditti, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, one book that kind of stood out when we were looking at our emails was a book called Cryptocracy, and it was very cryptic. We had no idea what it was about, so let's shed a little light on that book, shall we? We're talking to writer Van Jensen. Van, how you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man, you're currently in Nebraska right now, right? Yeah, Llewellyn, Nebraska, which uh, when I was growing up here, it was about 300 people. I think it's down to about maybe two, 250 now, but... Uh, kind of a nice place to come and get away from you know the hectic city life yeah and it's, it's been hectic because i mean you're working on the flash not too long ago and the one thing i actually like about cryptocracy is it is a uh, pretty big departure from your work on the flash so talk a little bit about what's what inspired you to write this story yeah you know the the initial idea of cryptocracy goes back probably like five or six years and I think it was really, I mean, I'd always been pretty fascinated with conspiracy theories. It's not necessarily that I believe them, more just kind of the things that people believe and sort of the psychology of why people believe. And the uh, the Robert Anton Wilson novel, uh, The Illuminatus Trilogy, was one of my favorites. And then uh, Lot 49, the Pinchon novel, uh, was another another one that I always kind of loved. And so... I, I think just like as the years went on, I, I saw one too many movie or TV show that had this like secret shadowy organization that was mm-hmm. just like evil. And you never really know anything about what their motivation is or why they do the things that they do. It's just like they're evil and that's it. That's everything. You know, don't ask any, don't ask any questions. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't think any more about it. They're just, they're the bad guys. And so it kind of just got me thinking like, well, you know, what if, what if we actually saw the story from their perspective? Like why would some nefarious or, you know, not nefarious group decide to try to control all of humanity and like how much of a pain in the ass would that actually be? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, someone, there was a character in there, of course, named Graham, and he has contact with this girl who in the outside world named Bella. So what do you make their relationship so interesting, and what kind of impact and role will she have going forward? Because when he's talking to her and he's telling her these things, to me it felt like he was kind of giving, it was like his way of getting a dopamine release, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so in the story, Graham is the main character, and he is, like, there are these nine families that control everything, and there's one family that's based in the U.S., um, and he's, he's almost like the CEO of this family. Mm-hmm. And so his, you know, everything that he does is, like, so removed from the real world and from real human interaction. It's just all of this, like, hyper weird hidden stuff where he's not able to really be himself. And so the one like really, you know, personal, true interaction that he has is he, you know, disguising himself, he calls into this conspiracy themed radio show and feeds the host misinformation. But even while he's doing this, like ostensibly kind of crappy thing, he actually has a real rapport with Bella, the host. And I kind of, I thought it was kind of fun to do something where I mean, it's almost a, like a reverse Mulder and Scully thing where, you know, Graham is, is this guy who, he, like, he knows all the secrets, so there's no mystery in life to him. So even though he's the one who's in charge of everything, like, he's really skeptical about stuff. Right. Um, because, it's, you know, it's like the world has no mystery to him, whereas Bella is someone who, you know, sees nothing but mystery and nothing but intrigue, and, you know, kind of desperate to figure out what the what the truth actually is. And so, yeah, it, you know, we're really sort of slowly setting up their relationship in the first arc, but that's something that, you know, this is a series that we have pretty big ambitions for and their relationship is really central to the entire series. You know, it's funny because early on in the first issue, we see two very different sides of Graham actually. So without spoiling anything, how much will we kind of see his character progress in future issues? And will he start to kind of lean into one direction more than the other, you think? Yeah. I mean, I I really like the idea of, um, you know, this, this character who doesn't believe in any mysteries and someone who's in control of everything, who all of a sudden is confronted with mystery and sort of, you know, slowly pushing him in the direction of, you know, becoming more like all of the people that he's manipulated for years and years and years. And so, you know, part of it too, you you know, you talk about him having to do these very, you know, having these different sides and like he has to do some really dark stuff. And to me, this series was really fun and kind of looking at the idea of, I mean, if there is this this group that is controlling everything, then they're making decisions where it's like even if the decision that they're making is altruistic, like they, you know, they want to make a decision to save millions of lives. Well, that might come at the cost of sacrificing hundreds or thousands of lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like whether they are good or, or bad really is a matter of, you know, whether you're one of the people who was saved or whether you're one of the people who had to die in order to save all the other people. So it's, it's just way more, you know, digging into shades of gray rather than just, Oh, these people are bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. Van, speaking of the people we're introduced to the head of the family, Nick and his daughter in the first issue. When you're writing a character 
who's an heir like she is. Uh, what is one thing you find most important to get across to the reader about them and their imminent rise to power? Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to explore this idea of, you know, with, with her, of someone who, who has expectations and who ha- and who basically comes into life thinking that, like, this is a little, like, you know, deep, I guess deep background on this, but there's this really cool book called Mindset that's about, like, the difference of people who think that it's just, like, everyone is born with inherent talent versus mm-hmm. people who think that, you know, everything is about work ethic. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. and so, it, so it's like people, you know, people who just think that they're inherently talented form some really damaging habits where they're, they're one, like not really willing to put themselves out there and take risks, but then they also are really, you know, they look down on everyone else, even while they kind of limit their own actions. And so I think that book was really influential in how I was looking at her. And I mean, I, I also, you know, she's got some really big emotional turns, in some of the the later issues of the first arc. And so, you know, that's where she starts as a character where she's kind of, I mean, I guess, frankly, a little bit of a selfish bitch. (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, there's, there's some really interesting, some really uh, weird stuff with her. And, you know, with, with any character, like to me, what's really interesting is not, you know, where they're starting it, but you know, where, where the story progresses them and how, how they change over the course of it and how they respond to these really challenging situations that, that are thrust upon them. Absolutely. We're talking to writer Van Jensen of Cryptocracy Number 1 from Dark Horse Comics, which, of course, will be available June 29th at your local shops and digital retailers. I wanted to get back to the families for a second because the, the world is divided into families and really kind of only certain people know what's really going on and who's really pulling the strings behind the scenes. Would you say that that's almost kind of a commentary at all on the state of the world the way it is right now? Well, I mean, I think where we are, certainly conspiracies are, are just, and, and talking about things in conspiratorial tones is, is so common. I mean, you have, you know, Donald Trump, who is the, the candidate for one of the two main political parties, and he is constantly, like almost daily, bringing up these things that are, you know, wildly conspiratorial. And... And, and not to comment on whether they're true or not, or whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's, you know, that's the way that he frames the world as like, there are these people who are controlling everything and they're evil and I'm shining a light on it. And and that, that sort of approach. And there are a lot of people who, who see that sort of thing going on. And, you know, I, I think on the one hand, most of that is the desire of people to sort of, imprint order upon a very chaotic world um you know it's like stuff that doesn't make sense to people so it's like oh well clearly you know this must be the illuminati doing this and this (laughs) and this (laughs) you know it's just like it's so crazy it's like you know you don't want to accept that the world is just a really messed up weird place um but then at the same time i mean i i've read a ton into conspiracies, you know, some of the major works as well as like some really fringe stuff. And, you know, the thing is like, there is some really, really weird unexplained stuff that, that happens out there. Like there's this place in California called Bohemian Grove. And this is really well documented. There's even video, like secret hidden video of it where every year 
the business and political leaders from all around the world gather in this place. And for years, like no one knew what was going on. And finally someone got video of it. And these are again, like the most powerful people in all the world. And there's this video of them wearing robes out, like carrying torches and singing and worshiping a giant owl statue. What? What? <laughs> yeah, like this is this is this is not like not a fantastic thing. Like this is it's just it's real. Um and I like I approach that with a ton of skepticism, but it's something that, you know, like again, like there is video of this. So it's like, okay, well once you accept that, you know, it's not that many steps from there to believing that there are like reptile aliens masquerading as humans and controlling the world. Like, wow. so I'm not, I'm not saying that. And I, I very much, I, I want to be very clear. I do not believe that there are reptile aliens masquerading as humans <laughs> and controlling the world. That. Right. But I understand why there are people who very fervently believe those kinds of really, really crazy things. Right, exactly. And, and you know, speaking of, of crazy things, uh, Van, this is a series that mentions in, in certain details about actual historical events and how kind of like they were caused. I mean, I think I think I definitely put like the stuff that I really wanted to do, I put in the book and, you know, a lot of it, like Pearl Harbor, there's a huge, you know, kind of fun story reason that it would be a little bit of a spoiler to go into it. Um, there will be a big explanation of kind of like why World War One started, but um, we have planned out and going, you know, going back into the Kennedy assassination that uh, I, I I shouldn't even say anything about it. But, it's, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, like so much of the fun of this, like was taking all of these things that there are existing conspiracy theories about and coming up with new reasons. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, you know, not using any of the existing theories, but just, you know, and I, I charted out, like I actually made this giant map that looks like the work of a crazy person of like major <laughs> historical events and just cherry and, and, you know, like cherry picked the cool ones and framed this narrative of like, oh, this, you know, this is why this happened. This is why this happened. So. I don't know. I, I think if like if you're into history, uh, there's there's definitely going to be a lot of fun, really really weird riffs on that. There's actually like we have a preview story that was up on uh, I think it was on Bleeding Cool where it was, it was first released. It's just an eight page free preview that we did. That's this alternate take on Roswell that kind of explains where these you know little green men alien come from and what they're all about. Um, so that that's a fun one if anyone wants to check that out. I'm just picturing you like in your office with like red string and like like a yeah. pegboard <laughs> and like many different webs just connecting like you're like hand on your chin like hmm this makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it is not unlike that. Let me put it that way. <laughs> there's there's just no uncreepy way to make a, a map like that, is there? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that those things are called murder boards, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you dove so much into all this conspiracy theories and conspiracy worlds. Is there any one conspiracy theory that you'd actually kind of love to find out is true? JFK is an obvious one, um, almost too obvious. I'm pretty fascinated with everything related to, you know, extraterrestrial life, whether there's anything there that isn't known. Um 
I mean, one that's just like super weird and fascinating that's not really, really well known is, I'm going to mispronounce it, but there was this weird thing in Russia at the, uh, like, Dyatlov Pass, uh, D-Y-A-T-L-O-V, is the place where these, like, hikers were killed in this fashion where it was just like, man, like, there's no explanation for the way that these people, it was like they were killed by some kind of energy weapon that... Wow that didn't exist. And it, like, it's a super minor one. There's just one of those where there's like, you know, a lot of theories, there are a ton of decent, you know, Oh, it could be this, or it could be this. And that one It's just like, no, there's, there's really nothing. <laughs> there's not any, any good reason why these people were just like cut in half and like strewn all over the side of a mountain. Wow. Sorry, that's pretty dark <laughs> and weird. Wow. <laughs> well, to bring things a little bit to a lighter side, man, yeah. uh, a character in the book that I mainly fell in love with, I actually found really hilarious, is Jason the Bugbear. Now, what is it about animals that make them just great partners? And in Jason's case, someone who can break that tension with a comedic moment or just whether it's calling somebody a name or just being comedic in general. Yeah, I mean, I... I had had the idea, you know, very early on about having this sidekick that's a, a bugbear. And I mean, part of it is it's just like bugbear is a funny word. It's just like a giant bear. It sounds where, like something you know, blue. Where, it does. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I kind of like, I try to always find like a secondary character to just be the like super fun character where I really like don't, don't get too bogged down and like, Oh, I need to do this beat or this, you know, character building moment. It's just like, this character is just going to be really fun and really <laughs> funny. And like bringing that energy. And like, I had a lot of fun writing the flash with, um, Gerder. like out of nowhere. It's like, Oh, Gerder's a character that I really want to have a lot of fun with. Mm-hmm. And, and Jason, Jason was totally that way. And I don't know. I mean, just like a giant werewolf looking dude. who's super, super foul mouthed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It was great. And he, he actually like some of his insults. I, I went and looked on message boards and found the worst insults <laughs> that people had written about me <laughs> and, and he used those for lines of dialogue. So there's like oh at one point he, he refers oh to Graham as being 100% pure taint, uh, <laughs> which is verbatim. Uh, what someone Wait a called second. me on the internet. Wait, somebody called you that on a message board. <laughs> yeah, I think it was on like the CBR forum. Oh my god! Yeah, it was great. That was like one of the most fun days I've ever had as a writer. Just like looking through these, you know, vitriolic oh posts about my writing. Oh, so you legit fed the trolls, fan? Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, we've had some eye-opening conspiracy theory talk in this interview. But that might be that might be the most eye-opening one of all. That may be the greatest detail about this book. Because <laughs> never, oh yeah. well, never have you had a writer say, "I got inspiration oh. for a certain character by seeing going on message boards, seeing the <laughs> shit that was written about me." You know, like that's that's some inspiration right there. And then seeing it, and saying, "You know what? Screw it. That's in the book." <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, the way I look at it is, 
I mean, I'm doing the job that I dreamed of doing when I was like four or five years old, right? right. So how can I not have fun with it? Oh, and, you yeah. know, oh, people, yeah. people are going to get mad about whatever thing and it's just, it's going to happen and you can't, you know, you can't do anything about it. Like people get upset and, and spew stuff and whatever. Like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't change who I am as a person. Like if I can have some fun out of it, then, you know, awesome. Were you ever like looking at the forums and like like, waving your friend or your parents or whomever over like, look at this, look what somebody said. How funny (laughs) is this? Well, the big thing is, uh, so, you know, Rob and Diddy and I covered the flash and then we worked on the green lantern books at the same time. And he and I have been friends for years and years and years. And so we would always like make a game of it to see like, what's the worst thing that, you know, that we, and it's like, Oh, well look at what this person said about me. And you're like, Oh yeah. Oh, well, this person said this. So, oh, Rob, yeah. Rob, Rob didn't tell us about that little game. We talked to him not too long ago. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you can dig into that on the repeat interview. He actually, um, yeah, he he might have saved some of his best ones, so he could probably do like a dramatic reading of, oh, of yes. web insults. Yes, we're asking him about that next time we talk to him for sure. Wow. Well, I mean, there you I don't go. think. I don't think anybody's going to be upset about Cryptocracy Number 1 from Dark Horse Comics. It's an amazing book. You're going to want to pick it up at your local shops and digitally on June the 29th. Van Jensen, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to us about it this week. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Well, James, I know whenever we do a show now to look at message boards and see what people are talking about when it comes to us and our show in general, I mean, that way we can get some uh, some, some show ideas. Yeah, maybe that'll just be the opening for the show, for the next week's <laughs> show every week. I mean, who knows? But, I mean, you never know what's going to be out there on the internet, man. The two biggest taints in the world of podcasts. I can't believe that's an actual thing that somebody called him. <laughs> the, guy's, the guy's a writer. He wrote Flash. I mean, why would you say that about him? Because internet, because internet and anonymity allows people to be dicks. I, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, you just look on Twitter and stuff like that. But, I mean, this book, I mean, the way, I mean, we've seen conspiracy theory books and stories done before. But the way that Van executes this book and the way he puts the characters together, like we were saying, it just makes it such a unique spin on a story that's been done. Well, you know, off the air, we were talking to Van, you know, after the interview, and it was just like, and I told him, I said, you know, the one thing I love about this book the most is that, you know, I told him how I love the movie The Skulls, and it's yep. one of my favorite movies, actually, and I said, the fact that you took this whole idea of secret society and conspiracy theories and took it to the other point of view, it wasn't this outside looking in, it was inside looking out, right. that's what made it so interesting, that's why, you know, it, this book is, you know, cryptocracy is, is is literally, you have to go buy this book when it goes on sale uh, June 29th, which is going to be, of course, next Wednesday. And, you know, one of the things about it, we didn't even get to the big reveal at the end, which, of course, we're not going to spoil no. for you. But there is a big reveal at the end that's going to set up something huge for the future issues. So, I mean, they, they, we haven't even gotten to that yet. So, 
I mean, there's just so much going on in this book. The characters are so smartly written and put together, and there's definitely a both sides aspect to the story. So yeah, go to your digital retailers. If you do digital, you can go to darkhorse.com, get them there. Go to your local shops, pick up Cryptocracy number one when it comes out on Wednesday, June the 29th. You definitely won't be sorry. This is a total left field, I think, from anything Van's ever done, and it's amazing. Oh, definitely. You have to go get this when it goes on sale, whether it's at your local shops or digitally. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to Van Jensen for coming out and talk cryptocracy with us. Again, go get it. You have to get it. This is a home run by both Van and Dark Horse. You have to buy it when it comes out on sale. And uh, hey, if you want more of us on social media and you want to post on our message boards and write some stuff about us, we're on Facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at Down Nerdy 757. Hey, if you want to point some comments my way, I'm Merck with one arm. The one is written out, Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. You can call me whatever you like. You can also call us whatever you like on our website at downnerdypodcast.com. That's got links to all of the places you can find our shows on there. We've still got great stuff that you can get from our Amazon store for all the nerds that you love, as Nick likes to say. Also, we've got... Everything that we talk about on every week's show that week, get a nice detail of what we go and talk about each week so you can say, oh, so they're going to get to that later. It makes you want to keep listening at downandnerdypodcast.com. That's right, and I leave you with the same words I leave you with every week. Press safe, comic greeting. Always bag and board your comics.